You guys, my first ever sit down interview for this podcast, and it was with Mark Hurley, the 2019-2020 Texas Apartment Association president and also president owner of Highland Commercial. Now, if you don't know Mark, you guys are in for such a real treat. He's a mentor, he's a friend. A few years back, he even agreed to come and speak at our Sprout Company retreat. Lauren and I were just in awe of everything he said and his values aligned so much to our values and to our company culture. This interview was so real and raw. He talked about how he started in this industry. You're gonna get a sneak peek at the history of how him and his father, and through the support of his mother and wife and family, have built Highland Commercial from zero in assets to over $200 million in assets with, listen to this, zero debt. Mark does everything the unconventional way, and I love it. It's so refreshing. He talks about how you can build a profitable business while still caring for the people around you. And he shares how he has worked really hard to create a work culture that he can be proud of. And listen, it didn't always go as easy as one might think by looking at his success today. So he shares everything. He might have even talked about a secret society. So I'm so excited. I enjoyed this conversation so much. And now I want to let you in on my conversation with the amazing, incredible Mark Hurley. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. So excited that we have this time to be together today. Thank you so My much pleasure. for taking the time. And before we start, and not to put you under any pressure, <laughs> but you know, I had a recent trip that was a pretty cool trip, and I was telling people about it. But then I told people that I'm being interviewed by Barbara Savona afterwards. They didn't care at all about the trip. They were highly impressed that that I was doing an interview with you, and uh, you are a role model to not only some of our current managers but some of our ex-managers. So I've really, my status has been raised in their, in their view. Oh, well, thank you. I cannot believe we're starting this off and you're already giving me the compliments. <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing that for you, <laughs> but that's, that's amazing. Uh, when I was thinking about this interview, in fact, yesterday I was watching the news and you know, we have unusually cold weather right now here in Texas. And I'm like watching it anxiously. And my husband's like, what are you freaking out about? I said, I have this interview tomorrow, and no matter what happens, it's happening. And so this morning as I'm getting ready, he said, are you sure you're going to go out? And I said, we're going to push it a little bit, but this interview with Mark Hurley is happening today. So thank you so much. You've been such a mentor. I think even though we haven't had a ton of in-person, the few times that we've interacted, I've watched the way that you do business. And so for that, I'm really excited because... I want our listeners to hear your wisdom, but selfishly, I just want to get all this information as well and hear and hear your stories as well. So I'm excited to dig in. Well, thanks. And, and I'm excited because you've been a mentor to many people as well. So it's, it's a pleasure to do this with you. Thank you. So for those that don't know Mark Hurley, we've done a little intro um, about, you know, what you're doing right now, but can you give us a little bit of a background? Like who is Mark Hurley and how are you playing a role in multifamily? 
Well, to make a long story short, started here in 1995 working with my dad, who, who had about 28 single-family rental homes at the time that were highly leveraged. And he had another business and he had a bit of cash and he started to buy single-family homes here. We, we came over from where we were living, which was Cyprus at the time. And starting in 1995 with zero equity in, in you know, zero dollars, basically, uh, we are today at around probably about 200 million in hard assets owned and in businesses and uh, with no debt. And we've gone from, you know, he had that business in the UK. We've gone from about 5 million turnover a year to about last year was about 100 million turnover. So we've come a long way. My, my background is in electrical engineering. And we started here just seven days a week going out and doing manual labor on, on the weekends with, with our maintenance people and checking on after five o'clock because before five o'clock, we would do the administrative and customer service type growing aspects of the business. And that's the short story. Well, I, you know, that's why I think I'm so excited to talk to you because I think people can look at where you're at today and they can think, oh, it must have been easy for him or he must have, you know, it's a family business. They hear that and they think, oh, he must have just walked into the operation that you have today. And it's not like that at all. It, it's not what it is today. I did have a leg up. You know, I was fortunate to have a dad who had succeeded and failed in business multiple times and had enough cash. I think he probably had about between 300 and 500,000 available to him and saw the opportunity in, in Texas. And I think that's another thing to point out. They could have probably chosen to live anywhere in the States and didn't plan to live here for a long time, but they actually came to Texas for six months and fell in love with the place and in particular fell in love with the people here and their work ethic is incredible. Look, there is no work ethic that I have ever seen in the world, like the people in San Antonio, for example. That's incredible. And I think this is the perfect segue of talking about people. I, I, you know, when I think of you, there's a couple of things that come to mind, but when I was driving in and I thought, okay, what is the number one thing that comes to mind other than impeccable style? <laughs> say that people are at the center of what they do but if you don't actually see it it doesn't necessarily mean it's true and so with you I've seen that that people matter to you a lot in everything that you do so can we start by digging into some of the people that maybe have had an impact on you and then segue to the people that you're impacting today well the primary person that has an impact on me I think is, is obvious is my and I've said it a few times is my dad uh, you know he 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 was a, you know, a businessman who, was, who failed and succeeded many times, as I've mentioned, and picked up a lot of knowledge that way. He taught me the value of reading. He taught me the value of continuous learning. And he pounded into my head this small continuous improvement formula that we've used over the years. My mother, as well, has had a huge impact on me. She, she's just incredibly wise, is 90 years old. It's just an example of how to live a healthy, happy life. She's always laughing, always smiling. And my wife has been just an incredible support to me all these years. And it's just, she's, she doesn't ever feel sorry for me. <laughs> you know, I can't come home and cry about anything. 
that she would kind of slap me into, into uh, you know, getting out of it pretty quickly. And that's something that I need as well. And I saw my dad depend on my mother in the same way. So I, I was lucky, uh, you know, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made is both marrying my wife and then, you know, we, you know, as any marriage does over the course of 24 years, it, you know, you go through hard times. And I think the best decision I've ever made is, is uh, staying with it and, and, and trying hard for it. Well, I love hearing the influence of family. Family is really important to me, too. And I think that's something that you and I connected on immediately at the beginning was the family, the work ethic. I want to go back for a minute to your dad. So what kind of a dad was he to you? Like as a young boy, what do you remember about him? He was a very tough, <laughs> tough dad. Uh, he definitely did, you know, in the good times, he definitely didn't want us to be spoiled. So and we, we went through various stages in our life where we lived in a nice big house and then we lived in a little tiny flat, you know, in, in, in a village, basically. And one thing for sure is he really wanted me to learn manual labor. So from a very early age, you know, God, even going back to single digit age, I was working on something, either on a farm or clearing fields or building bathrooms. And that's been really valuable to me. There are things that you learn from doing that that you simply can't learn from school and you simply can't learn from stepping into a, an executive position or stepping into an office. And uh, so that was big, learning how to use my hands. You know, his whole motto was, if you know how to use your hands, you'll always have a job. And so that was, he was tough and he would push and, you know, you really learn through adversity with him. And even when we would started to do well, he would take us to our limits and put us under a lot of pressure, spending every single dollar in the bank every time he could. And so we were always struggling, which was good, you know. So that's the kind of dad he was. Um, showed by example, I think, is the main, the main thing. He didn't really preach, didn't use a lot of words with me and telling me what to do. More just did the things, and you kind of just had to learn by watching him. And so then you bring that into today, your family, your relationships, does that, those values, are they really core to the way that you not only do business, but also the way you are with your family, your people, your teams? Yes. I remember a time, a long time ago, this will give you an example of, of the value. A long time ago when we got a shipment of, in the early days, three window units from Home Depot in amongst a bunch of other things and they didn't charge us for them and I was so happy and I went to my dad and I said we got three air conditions for free and he said call them up and tell them to come and get them or take them back to them I don't remember how he said to do it um, and I was like but I know we always, we always get shortchanged I, I didn't know that but he goes you don't ever steal and that I remember that, you know, and from that moment, I think I, I never, you know, I was really careful about even if it was going to cost me being honest about that type of thing. So that's the type of, of integrity that he showed me. He didn't really preach it to me. And we look for that from the people we hire as well. And if they don't have it when they come in, it's a great opportunity to teach it to them. I hope that, that answers that question. It really does. And I think that, you know, your style of operating, the way that you are with people, going back to the core, 
One of the things that I find in this industry is that there are those people that would say you cannot consider the residents or you cannot take your employees into consideration and still run a profitable business. What would you say to those people? I, I decided a while ago, we had a conversation the other day, and I think this is, is a good example of it, of us having we've got good people. I think we've attracted good people. And we sat down with some of our senior people and we said, we would like to reposition some of our properties. And the question was, well, if we spend a lot of money to take these properties up by putting in new kitchens, new bathrooms, and changing out the flooring to make it look nicer, can we get more rent for that? And, and the answer was, we think that our low income residents are pretty well maxed out of what they're paying at the moment. And it's just a sign of the times. Wages just haven't moved, the, you know, the way rents have moved, I believe. And we all came to the conclusion that we would do the repositioning anyway, that we weren't going to change out or empty out our apartments of the current residents and bring in new residents who could afford more. Because the, the purpose of a business is to bring value to its stakeholders. And... I believe that if you do that, and I believe, and this is what I was taught, that profit will take care of itself. And even if we don't raise the rents when we reposition, we will gain, make the gains somehow. It just magically will come along. And it was really impressive to me to see that they were all in agreement that the number one goal was to bring value to the stakeholders. And by stakeholders, I mean the customers, the employees, the community in general. And um, if we do all of that, the shareholders who are family members will, will benefit. Right, and that's, I mean, that's so unique in this space because you know, one of the things that we see often is that people that are in the luxury space, you know, they think about, well, what are the goals? How can our amenities reach those goals? And this is like high income people. And something that I sometimes step back and I think is, you know, coming also from a family that had very little and then at other times had more, the goals really never change. You still want the same things for your families, whether you're barely scraping by or you're making a ton of money. Would you agree with that? You, you do. I mean, ultimately, I'm a big believer in Maslow's hierarchy of needs and we all have our basic needs and then we all want to get to the point where we're self-actualized. And... The difference, I think, is, is that when you're a low-income resident, in order to satisfy anywhere on that hierarchy of needs, whatever you're spending, you're, lose, you're losing somewhere else. Whereas for you and myself, we can spend on things, but we're not necessarily denying something, another need to ourselves. Not, not, an, not an important need anyway. So, so, yeah, I mean, essentially the needs are the same. But, what we, but the cost of those needs is different for all of us. Exactly. And so as you're talking about it, it's home. It's one of the most, and it's the most important place. I know you and I right now, we could talk about a year and immediately you start thinking, where was I living at the time? What was happening? And that's what we do. And so one of the things that I remember early on when I met you is you really gave a lot of thought to when you're doing things like rehabs, when you're doing improvements, what would benefit the resident, what would really affect their lifestyle? And you made some changes that, you know, maybe weren't happening in other places. 
Can you talk a little bit about that, like your thought process when you're maybe making upgrades or making some changes or decisions? Like, how do you think about the resident in terms of those decisions? We wanted to, one of the things we cut out was we cut out a lot of advertising and we just said, let's have the properties speak for themselves and let's have the residents speak for us. And, and the, the idea was residents bring residents rather than let's spend a lot of money on putting out advertising and uh, trying to make the property look as good by photoshopping the property. And all of that money that we saved, we started to basically put into more into the properties. And, you know, the motto became as well, you know, we have, a, a, so the motto became, if we can buy it for a little money, and the resident would spend a lot of money on, it would something, be something the resident spent a lot of money on, let's do it and just charge them the cost of it. If we could buy cable for $10 a month and it would cost the resident $50 a month, let's get the cable for them because most of them are gonna buy that and we can save them $40. And that $40 is something they need because $40 to me, I'm not sacrificing a certain amount of shop, grocery shopping for that, but our residents might've been. Uh, and, and we wanted them to be able to pay their rent because they needed the shelter. We did this with cable, we did this with Wi-Fi, we did this with electricity, and we did it with water, and we still do today. I mean, we provide Wi-Fi service that's a 100 meg download. Um, even, you know, the best hotels will only give you up to 45. Not that it matters that much above 50, but we provide our residents with a 100 meg download and um, super fast you know, load balance so that every device gets it, it's not shared. And these are in low-income communities and we don't charge them anything for it. It works its way into the rent in terms of the, you know, 10 or $15 a month we spend on it. But they would have to spend 70 something dollars to get that, you know, and uh, we've done the same thing with cable for them. And, you know, we get give them a certain amount of free laundry every month as well. So wherever we saw that there was something that they were going to spend money on for sure, if we could save them money on that, then uh, at a much lower cost, then we could give them that value and, and help the low-income residents. Another example is, and it's a minor thing, most of our managers are notaries. We certify them so that if our residents have paperwork to get notarized, they can easily come in. It's an easy value thing to do. And our, and our people are trained, and this is the last thing I'll say, we do a lot of things on it. There was a nice story the other day. We, we share customer service stories. Every Monday we get on, Google Hangouts and various offices participate and our maintenance people participate and they share great stories. There was one on Monday where one of our maintenance people, the resident's car wouldn't start. They opened it up, they checked the battery, they checked, the, they tried to jump start it, they checked the alternator, then they went and got them a car battery and they brought the car battery back and they installed it. And they probably saved the resident, I don't know, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars by doing all of that and time lost as well. If we can do that for our residents and it costs our, our person about two hours of time, then for $40, we save them three, $400. That's the type of thing we like to do. And that's the type of thing we like to encourage. And I like to call it permission to be good. So, and by sharing that story, our maintenance person, and, and they get the best stories get rewards. And that's probably the best story of the week. There are some other really good ones as well. But um, by sharing that story, he let all the other maintenance people know you can do this type of thing. And uh, it's a, I, think, I think it's a wonderful thing to do for people. 
Well, I think it's incredible. I think five, five years ago, you came and spoke to my team five or six years ago. And ever since you told us that you do that with your teams, we do the same thing through our channels. And it's sometimes you feel like the better, the more outrageous, the impact. And it doesn't always have to be outrageous, right? Like right. it can be the smallest things. How cool would it be if there was a store where you could find tons of resources for marketing and retention for your multifamily community or your real estate business? Guess what? There is. Today, our episode is sponsored by the Sprout Marketing Shop. Check it out at shopmarketinghome.com. That's shopmarketinghome.com. So tell me a little bit more about that because I think people can really dig into that. One of the things that I hear, I'm on a lot of the forums and I hear a lot of people say, well, if we can't do that for every resident, we can't do it for one. And if, you know, we, how, do, how can we operate when we've got all these other things on our plate to give that level of attention? What would you say to somebody that is, is saying that as their argument for maybe having a little bit of a colder interaction with people? Well, in our example, we've had fewer fair housing situations since we started doing this and I'd say it's dwindled down to nothing in terms of fair housing situations so I don't believe that if I can't do it for one resident I can't do it for another is the case and every person is different anyway so there are differentiators there that that would uh, not have that happen so being nicer is not going to cause you more problems being being good is going to get you less problems and build trust with your residents Another, another great example of the type of thing that comes up is, you know, we had a situation where a resident upstairs was making an awful lot of noise and the resident downstairs was, was uh, getting very irritated by it. And instead of punishing the person upstairs for, for making the noise and instituting policies and procedures and, and uh, you know, we, we had them sit down and, and we, the manager, did this, not us. The manager got to, what is it that everybody wants? Everybody wants to feel, you know, safe, secure, and happy in their home. The resident downstairs wants to be, wants to be, um, wants to quiet. And the, and the resident upstairs, you know, wants to be moving those things around all night long. And what they found out is the resident upstairs was moving some kind of oxygen machine around. And by having the discussion, instead of just giving out infraction notices, and threatening and, you know, uh, saying if it doesn't get corrected or being bothered by the complaints of the resident downstairs, they all had a conversation and they all started it out and they all became very happy. And then that story led to a situation, yes, yes, on Monday, it was yesterday, when somebody was smoking in the apartment and the smoke was getting upstairs. And the manager, having heard the previous situation, quoted the previous manager and said, I learned that I don't need to go in there and punish the smoker. So I went out and bought her some air filters. And uh, that then has help, is helping the situation because they're making that move, made the person downstairs make some moves to smoke outside a little bit more, use the air filters where they're inside. And it's, it's meant that everybody's getting more creative and learning how to address the problem and the feelings involved rather than just running straight to the rule book. So it, it's helped us in so many ways. And again, it's this permission to be good. Our residents, especially in the low income areas, they don't have a lot. And they, they don't have fancy cars and they don't have fancy things for the most part, but they do have respect and they do have pride. And if you pay attention to that, it can really make their day. 
and it can improve their lives. And I think that's what these stand-up on lineup on Monday mornings that we do gets everybody buying into. All the maintenance people have to be on that call. They're the front line. You have to involve the maintenance in everything you do in this is, is what we found out. And so the whole company is working together and sharing and collaborating. And that's a beautiful thing to see. Permission to be good. I love that. <laughs> that is awesome. So this has evolved for you guys because you all used to do it. I know you guys, I mean, you've been doing it for how many years now, the, the, the Monday stand-up? I think it was 2008 or 2009. Because it used to be on Saturdays, didn't it? Saturdays yeah. is our complaining meeting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday breakfast was where we, where we got together and we said to the managers and, and their staff, and, and maintenance as well, what are we doing that gets in your way as leaders? How are we taking away from your authority? Mm-hmm. Because for, for me, authority has to be given if you give somebody responsibility. And with, and if somebody's taking responsibility, they must have authority, authority, respons- they both, both right. go together, vice versa. I think I just said the same thing twice. But, and so that, that was about them getting empowerment and decision rights and them saying something to us and we, you know, we don't want to do this anymore. And we said, well, if you think that's the right decision, then don't do it anymore. And, or you're making us write all these reports and yet you want me to pay attention to the customer. And so we took away pretty much all reports and we brought the manager's desks out front instead of having them in the back. There are no more managers in the back room. They're all in the front room. And we, if you go to any of our properties and ask the residents what they like most, and we do quite a lot of focus groups with the residents now, they will tell you, well, we like the price most, the value is, is the best thing. But then the next thing they like is the availability of the managers to them. They're always available to talk to them. And, and that's, so, so that's, the, what, they're both important, by the way. The, the stand-up, which is tell the great stories, and then the other aspect of it, which is the telling us as leaders where we went wrong and challenging us. And how is that? Is that hard to hear sometimes? Like when you maybe thought you had a great <laughs> idea and they're like, not so great? <laughs> It is. You can get, depending on your mood on the day, like if, if, um, if I'm in a bad mood, I can find myself becoming too defensive and I want to kick myself afterwards. But this is also what I've discovered. You know, we've attracted some very good, on that note, we've attracted some very good people. We've attracted people with a lot of integrity. And, and that's built, that's a slow build over time. We also have a, quite a few scoundrels on our, on our, you know, they'll break the rules. And that's good. And we don't mind that if they get caught, they're probably going to get punished, but we know it's going on and it's okay because great things can come from that as well. And what I'm getting to is with the people that can frustrate me, I've learned to examine that a little bit. And I think, and Mike Russ works with me closely and Carlton Wolf is another one of our, you know, I think we've learned to not get angry about it or irritated about it, but rather to examine our feelings when we get frustrated because usually we're getting frustrated when there's some truth in what they're saying. And with, there are a certain type of people that have come in where in the early days of doing this, I would have gone, they're not gonna last long. And now I've learned, I hope to foster those people because that's where the real truths come from. They're kind of the complainers and they may be just generally complainers and that's fantastic because if you can listen to those people and pay attention to them and then bring them along. They can become your greatest cheerleaders. And they are who are in our employee focus groups. 
the big complainers, the, you know, the ones who go, you know, you didn't reimburse me for this or, yeah, you know, well, there's truth to, there's some truth to that. And they're incredibly valuable. They're, they're diamonds. If you can, if you can get past your ego to deal with that. You said ego, and that is exactly what I was thinking while you were talking that I think as leaders, sometimes we have to look and say, is this an ego thing? Why it's, you know, why, why I'm getting so ruffled up? Is this an ego thing? And, and also too, I love the point that you said you were complainers. You might think like, ah, we need to always be positive, but the reality is, is in business, there's some real things you have to address. And if everybody's just, it's wonderful, you need to hear that. Same thing with your customers. Sometimes the complainers, they give you the best insights. It's, it's true. I mean, you know, I, I'll come, I have these grandiose ideas all the time and I'll say to everybody, how about if we just get rid of the wall in the kitchen, make it a galley, we put in granite countertops, and one of them will go, well, maybe we should fix the potholes in the parking lot first. <laughs> the pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. And that's very valuable. I mean, the other, you know, I mean, that's right. Uh, and uh, so, yes, that, that's incredibly, incredibly valuable to have you need, those people. You need the dreamers, the idealists, and then you need the ones that are coming in. Lauren always says that with me. She's like, we'll get together, and you'll be like, I have a great idea. And then she's in the back like, how are we going to make this work? So <laughs> it's a good balance. I think talking about people in your team, you know, years ago, you told me a story where it wasn't this harmonious with your managers, where you had a situation where this wasn't flowing. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I think it was like 20 something managers that you've got a really great memory, <laughs> really great memory. That's well done. There was a situation where we were just starting to grow. And I think we had about six apartment communities at the time. And my dad felt comfortable enough leaving me in charge. So he went off on a cruise. And back in 1997 or 98, there was no cell phones and there was no way to contact somebody on a cruise. And I think within a couple of days of leaving, five of the six quit. And I've always considered that as a, as a I don't know, a, a breakthrough for me. Because since that time, I've, I've felt that I could get over, and if I could deal with that, I could get over anything. And I had something worse happen <laughs> years later than that, that, uh, that was, but those two situations are the ones that, that made me, that was a big moment for me, yeah. So it wasn't harmonious, and I was really tough back, back then. I was idealistic, I wasn't compassionate, and probably had a much bigger ego than I have today, it's hard to believe, but, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, but I call those the wartime years and I, I don't beat myself up too much about it because I could have been more compassionate, but if you're in a wartime years and your company's growing and you're struggling to pay your bills at the end of every month, you know, it does require a level of strictness. I've found that in the peacetime years, like now when everything is going well and the apartment business is going fantastically for everyone. You can be more, you can be more easygoing. You can, you can, you know, we do at the moment four and a half day work weeks where just we work four and a half days and everybody gets to spend. So everyone gets an extra 26 days a year with their families, we'd like to say. And that's easy to do in peacetime years. In wartime years, that may change where we start to go, hey, if you're two minutes past the end of two minutes past eight, why? Because you just have to get stricter and be more trim and fit. You know, it's like being at the competition. 
it sounds very full circle because like you were saying, even as a youth, knowing how to enjoy times when it's good and then also knowing how to buckle up and do the work when you needed to do it. Do you feel that that was kind of a, like that's the little lesson behind it is that you knew that because you lived it? Yes. And I think that was going through the wartime years was critical knowing having had to buckle up definitely makes you allows you to know what can happen when you buckle up and how to do it and uh, I think that it needs a level of hardness that you only get by going through it yeah so the people that maybe have not experienced that you know team members that maybe have only been during the peacetime years how are you instilling qualities in them to get them ready because it always happens that we go to harder times like how did you go from losing five of the six managers to having these meetings where people are excited to share the kind of stories that they're doing now what what goes into that kind of culture well i should it's important i think to add that when when my dad arrived back and five managers were gone. <laughs> you were fired. <laughs> yeah, I th- he took great joy in, in that. In, in, and he told me he was very calm about it. It didn't ruffle him a bit. He was like, well, this is what we're going to do. And he had, a, he had a plan. He was basically, move out of the way. This is how we're going to handle that. And I've learned, I've learned that too. And um, I always, I've felt for a very long time in, especially in the peacetime years, that my number one job, especially because I've got great people running things, is I have to prepare us for whatever comes in the future. I don't know what might come. There's no way to predict exactly what it is. But I like to call it fighting, getting fighting fit for when that happens. And we will do a fair bit of training with our managers in order to to get them to that place. So we're still very careful with what we spend and we still, you know, want them to do things extremely well and hold them to a high standard. We don't want to let any of that go. And, and then we're trying to expand their minds and their decision so that they can make better decisions. We want them to make decisions that they get wrong so that we can get a chance to correct them and not always just be patting them on the back. And I think that gets them fighting fit. If we're forcing them to make decisions and then they make, and they make mistakes now rather than then, we're trying to do our experimenting now so that we, we are stable when things come along that are hard. Uh, and we'll do things like train them in... Again, we want to open their minds so they can think for themselves. We, and we'll do things like barista training for them. We do pizza making training. We do sketch sketching and art classes with them. They, and they love they love most of them love that kind of thing. And uh, and the sharing of stories and just we will do classes on body language and negotiation and things like that. We've been a bit slow on it this year. I'm TAA president at the moment, and and I'm usually like take responsibility for training. So I've slowed things down unfortunately but I think we're getting to a place where we're, we're probably going to use Trello have you ever heard of mm-hmm. Trello it's an organizational pro, uh, app it's free and uh, I used it before I'm starting to use it again where if I go too slow on something somebody else can grab it and put it into their column and they can take it on uh, so so there's things that the technology out there that can help with this type of thing very cool so the people in your organization are not only learning Apartments, they now can make me uh, almond latte. Yes. That's amazing. Oh <laughs> and what's the thought process behind that? Just expanding their mind? Yes. Yeah. Getting them in a different like place 
or their just perspective? The thought partly was we wanted people to be able to have a job. If you know how to use your hands, you'll always have a job. It goes back to that, you know. Um, I'm not planning on having to use my hands again, but it's good to be able to know how to do it. We thought, well, if everything goes wrong for them, they can fill in it and they, it doesn't work out for them here. They know how to be a barista and they can go and do that job. But it also opens up, opens up their minds, as you said. And, and part of what my dad taught me as well is, you know, learn, learn everything. Learn everything you can, not just what applies to what you're doing now, because you never know when you're going to need it. It goes back to the, to the Steve Jobs joining the dots talk. You, you've heard that, mm -hmm. where, where it goes, I, took, I, I, I dropped out of college and started dropping into classes like calligraphy. I never knew that calligraphy was going to be what we use to create Apple fonts, the first fonts ever, 10 years later. You can only connect the dots going back. You cannot connect them going forward. I don't know when they're ever going to need to be a pizza maker or a barista or, or a sketch, but it will come in handy at some point in their lives. And that's the thinking there. And sometimes you find inspiration doing something completely outside of your comfort zone. I know that was the case for me. Anytime that I'm doing something so random, I'm like, oh, that's a, I have a great idea. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what, it leads, that's what it leads to as well. Yeah. Well, Mark, I want to wrap this segment talking a little bit. We've talked about the people in your personal life that have influenced you, your mom, your dad, your wife. I love hearing that as a wife and the residents, everything that goes into that, your team. I want to wrap with your role in the uh, Texas Apartment Association. And you've been playing such an involved role in associations for years now. How do you feel that being a part of these networks, these associations, how, does, how do those relationships play into your success, your learning, all of that? You know, amongst the people that have influenced me, there's a, there are a lot of the TA leaders, and I, I couldn't start naming them all because I'd leave people out that are very important that have helped along the way. It definitely has been, you know, 100 great tutors, it, it, you know, my experience through the association years. One after another, I've learned something from all of them. A great example, I'm going to use one as an example, because I think, uh, and I'm, I'm being ambitious to say this, but I think I have quite a lot in common with him. And I, is Jeff Lowry, who works with Madeira Residential. He might not think he has something in common with me, but I think I have in common with him. And I, and I, I think he's a really smart guy who would probably attribute his success not to being clever, which he is extremely clever, but to just hard work and, and his great habits. But one of the things that he taught me, and he's a big proponent of servant leadership. And when he was NAA chair, he put me in charge of advocate which is the Washington DC conference. He's all about bringing up leaders and allowing them to make mistakes. And I had a really terrible advocate conference. It just, we did not have a good attendance. Uh, I'll say I worked hard on it. It just, you know, I, I, I obviously didn't do the right things because we didn't have it, you know, as good as it could have been, but he supported me all the way through that. And he defended me, even though I, nobody attacked, but he was defend, defending me, defended his choice. But this is the thing. He invited me to speak to the executive committee on advocate, as every advocate chair has to do. And I was running late, as I always am. And I run into the meeting on time for the meeting, but didn't pick up my registration badge. 
But it didn't matter because Jeff had already registered me and had my badge waiting for me there. Now, he's the chairman of NAA, and he's gone and went and got the badge and brought it over for me. And that was an amazing example of a leader that I'll never forget. And so that's the benefit of being TA for me, constantly learning, constantly seeing people make great decisions. There's such amazing leaders there. And, and for anybody listening, if you, you know, I was lucky. I, I had a leg up. I had a really great dad who, you know, provided me with some resources to get started. If you don't have that and you're in this industry, the apartment associations are a great place to find that. And, and I hope I've answered, helped answer that, the question on that. Absolutely. So I was going to ask, would you encourage newcomers to, be, to get involved? I think if you, you don't have the financial resources or the knowledge resources, of course, everybody should read and everybody should be learning new things all the time. And reading is the biggest thing in my life and it's the greatest thing I've learned from my dad. If, if you're not into either of those two things, which you should be, but if you're not into either of those things to get a leg up, I would, I would definitely recommend the Apartment Association. It's an amazing place to learn. It's an amazing place to collaborate, to network, to get new ideas, and to practice. It's important to practice those ideas. Okay, so I knew we were going to have a lot to talk about. Will you hang on and we can do a little bit more for operations on yeah. the second segment? Love to. Okay, thanks, Mark. Today's episode is sponsored by the Sprout Marketing Daily Dose membership. You can sign up at apartmentmarketingtoday.com using code MHMY85 for an extra $15 off of membership. That is apartmentmarketingtoday.com. 